Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your initial deposit. How are we doing, everybody? Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Thursday afternoon. And today, Alex, we are going to break down the path for Mac Jones to become the week one starter for the New England Patriots, or we can just call it the starter in his rookie season as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be in week one, but we want to make it a little bit more exciting by putting that kind of onus on him to get that starting job at the end of training camp in the preseason. So we're going to talk a little bit of Mac Jones here at the beginning of the show. Then we're going to get into some of the stuff about Nikhil Harry, Jeremy Fowler having a report out there today about a conditional sixth round pick sort of being the price that's being uh, floated around the league for Nikhil Harry right now. So we'll get into that later on, but I want to start with Mac Jones, Alex, and just how he wins this starting job in trading camp. And we're not talking about Cam Newton getting injured or something like that. We're talking about him just outright winning the job and stealing it from Cam. And I, I wanted to drop this stat to, to start off. Then we'll get into some of the uh, sort of plan. I, I only had two steps for Mac instead of three, like I had with Cam, but we can, we can do sort of a similar setup. But the one stat I wanted to drop here was at a 33 quarterbacks drafted in the first round in the last decade. So that's since 2010, only one of those 33 quarterbacks didn't start a game in their rookie season. And that was Jake Locker a way back when for the Tennessee Titans. So every other quarterback, now some of those guys like Patrick Mahomes started one game and it was a week, week 17, that sort of situation. But most of these QBs that get drafted where Mac get draft Mac got drafted eventually start as rookies at some point in time. And a lot of them started double digit games as rookies. So we're talking about a situation where eventually Mac is going to get his chance, whether it's early or it's late or it's this year or next year, the keys are going over to Mac Jones at some point in time and history, at least recent history tells us that it's going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I just, and I've said this before, I think it's going to be later because history tells us this with the other 31 NFL teams. The Patriots generally don't operate like the other 31 NFL teams. So it's a good stat. It's an interesting stat. I think it is a little bit loaded, like you said, with guys with Mahomes who played one game week 17 yeah. where, you know, it, you know he was probably going up against a second team defense for most of it. So uh, it, it's it's somewhat relevant, but... You got like, and I'm a big context guy. I'm a big, let's look at what's happened in the past to see what's going to happen now. I just don't, you know, again, there's some value to that, but I don't know that the Patriots are going to stick to the same plan that the rest of the league has used. Yeah. And and if you go back, really, this stat sort of what, what turned up the stat for me was some of the Aaron Rodgers stuff that's been out there. And there really isn't a ton of quarterbacks. And also when you look at the Sam, the situation in San Francisco with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not exactly the same situation, obviously, as Cam and Mac, but they have a similar position where they have a veteran quarterback who has a case to start football 
football games this year, but they then drafted the guy high in the draft. And it's just a, not a ton of history of teams giving that veteran QB an extremely long leash. And Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith in, in uh, Kansas City is probably the only example other than the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers example, where you can come up with a quarterback that really was drafted in the first round that was really forced to sit by a veteran, right? Like right. really like you are going to sit on the bench for an entire year. Mahomes and Alex Smith is really the only recent example of that happening. And, and as we get into this, but then uh, again, who were yeah. the two best quarterbacks in football last year? Mahomes, Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, the two right. guys you just named. So yeah. For what yeah it's worth. There, there's something you could argue the third best was Brady who also sat for a year and granted that was, you know, a generation ago, it feels like, but there, if, if you want to talk historical context, let's talk historical context. Yeah, there's an argument both ways, I think, in terms of is it is it benefit a quarterback from sitting or not? I think a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who came into the league extremely raw, right? A guy that had a right. lot of really raw tools and upside, similarly to a guy like a Trey Lance in a lot of ways, where there's a ton of things that you have to look at that you might need to tweak or refine or alter a little bit to fit an NFL system. But a guy like Mac is not like that, right? You know, Mac is a lot more polished, I would say. He doesn't have the physical upside of a Mahomes or a Lance, but he's a lot more polished than those two guys are. In, in terms of uh, his fundamentals and his technique in the pocket and things of that nature. And I already see the, the people in the chat coming in against uh, in defense of Cam Newton. We did a video last week or a podcast, excuse me, last week with the same exact question for Cam Newton, right? So we're just, we're doing right. both quarterbacks here. Last week we did it for Cam. This week we're going to do it for Mac. So let's get into some of the things that I, I wrote well, down. So can I just touch on something you just said real quick? Yes. About, you know, the NFL readiness, because that's what makes this that's the only thing that makes this a conversation, I think, right? If they had taken Trey Lance, if they'd taken any of, you know, not Mac, not Lawrence, the other three guys, Lance, Wilson, and Fields, would we be having a debate? Maybe with Fields, we'd have a debate. If it, if they had taken Lance or if they had taken Wilson, I think the consensus would be Cam's going to start for the year and they're going to redshirt that guy and yeah. they're going to do the Patrick Mahomes thing. The whole reason Mac Jones was a first-round pick was his NFL readiness. He didn't have the ceiling of – he doesn't necessarily have the ceiling of a first-round pick, certainly not of the other four guys in the draft class, but his NFL readiness, for him to be as ready for the NFL game at that age is unprecedented. So that was the whole thing. He was a first-round pick because he was a plug-and-play guy. If he was anywhere else, if he goes to Chicago, right, of course he's starting over Andy Dalton. If he goes, you know, to any of these other quarterback needy teams, I think it's, yeah, of course he's going to start right away. The Patriots are the only team because of their historical hesitance to sit rookies where we hold it up. And Matt Jones NFL readiness is makes him the only quarterback where we'll actually have this conversation of, you know, could he start? week one or early on for the Patriots as a rookie. That That's why I brought up the stat to begin with was because I do think that most people are hesitant to say that Bill Belichick will play a rookie quarterback. Most people are hesitant to say that, that Mac going up against a guy like Cam Newton with 10 years of experience in the league is, is going to win the job. But at the same time, even though we have all of that evidence, the other overwhelming evidence is that if you get drafted in the top 15 as a QB in the first round, you're probably going to play, right? That that's, that's just what, the history of the league tells us. And, and let's get into some of the ways that Mac can sort of win this foot, win this job in practice, in training camp, in the preseason. And the number one thing that I wrote down is dominate the details, right? Because if you get 
if Mac Jones gets into what I wrote down as sort of an athleticism contest with Cam Newton, right? Who's, who's the best runner? Who's the best, got the strongest arm? Who's the biggest guy? All these little, you know, all these big picture things, right? If he gets into a, into that kind of contest where Cam is running around using his legs, throwing the ball deep, I don't think it's going to be an easy road for Mac Jones. I think Cam wins every single time if we're just going to get into that sort of foot race, if you will. But if Mac Jones can dominate the details, as in be the fastest through the progressions, understand pre-snap and control the line of scrimmage, ball placement, mechanics in the pocket, anticipation and timing, the little things. And these are the things that when we talked about Mac as a prospect coming in that we liked so much about him was that he was a quarterback that, okay, maybe on the surface he didn't have all this athleticism and raw ability that some of these other guys come in having like a Justin Fields, like a Trey Lance, but he is very, very good at the little details of quarterback and I think that if he can continue to do that at the pro level and dominate those details in camp, we are going to see very quickly that his style of play and the way that he can control the, the line of scrimmage and handle the game mentally is going to fit a lot more with what Josh McDaniels is going to ask him to do than necessarily Cam Newton's style of play. And Mike Giardi had a really interesting quote from a, a player on the Patriots where he said, the, the player said, that Max sees the game the same way that Josh McDaniels sees the game. And and I think that is the overarching theme of dominate the details, right? Just speed that extension of the coaching staff. And I I mean, do you want to make your other points? Because I'm going to have the same take I've had. Why don't you make your points? Because I think I'm going to end up disagreeing with them. Okay. So the second point is ball security. Right, because last year Cam Newton threw a bunch of interceptions. I don't have the number right off the top of my head. I think it was what eighteen or something like that. Was it twelve? Was it eighteen? I don't. Maybe I I might have overshot. I think that was the total. That's poor. Hang on, pull it up. I think that was eighteen. That's poor preparation. Ten picks, and I think. Hang on, I think I know where you're getting that number from. Um, Where is rushing on here? He had ten picks and. Six fumbles, so it was 16 turnovers. Okay, all right. Well, that was poor preparation on my part, but the main... Be better. Take a lap. (laughs) Yeah. The main theme of it, though, is ball security and proving to me that you can be... Not to me, but this is my point. Proving that you can be a reliable game manager. Right. Somebody that can keep the train on the tracks, keep it on schedule, not turn the football over, because ultimately... I think it had to have driven Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels absolutely crazy how much they turned the ball over last year. And they know, as they say, and they harp on it every single week, that ball security and limiting turnovers and taking the football away defensively is the quickest way to win or lose a football game. And for years, they dominated in terms of turnover differential. They need to get back there. So if Mac Jones can be a good game manager and he can dominate the details of the game, then I do think that he is going to have a real chance to win this job. Yeah. I, 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 you, you had a th- oh, no, you just had two, right? Those are your two Just points. two. So I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I, I think that all of those are things that Mac Jones needs to do. That being said, I don't think he can win the job because I think the cards are stacked against him because he is a rookie. I'm not saying he's not good enough to play. I am a noted Mac Jones enthusiast. Uh, I'm not saying he'll never play, but 
Bill Belichick is not going to start a rookie quarterback week one. I truly just don't believe that. The way he's treated rookies at other positions, he wants guys to sit. He wants guys to learn. And this is the most cerebral position on the football field. He is going to see Cam Newton's 10 years of NFL experience as a huge, huge, huge factor in this decision. I think that whenever Mac Jones takes over, whether it be week two, whether it be, you know, at week five after the Bucks game, some people have pointed to that, whether it be 2022, whenever it is, it's going to be more about Cam Newton than Mac Jones. I don't think that there is a level that Mac Jones can play where he will get the starting job if Cam Newton is, as long as Cam Newton is serviceable. It's not about Mac Jones being X good, right? It's not about Mac being, Jones being so good. Cam Newton also has to drop far enough where he is becoming a significant hindrance to the team winning games. That could happen. But, you know, I kind of felt that way at times last year that Cam Newton had hit that level and it was time for Jared Stidham and they still didn't bench him. So we we don't know how low Cam needs to go for that to happen, but that's what it's about to me. Mac, Mac's not going to be the reason that Mac Jones starts games. If Mac Jones starts games this year, it will be because of Cam Newton. Okay, so what do you say to this though? Because... I hear you on some of the rookie stuff, but if you go back yeah. and you believe sort of the, the what's, you know, the, 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 the tale, right. The story of yeah. the 2001 Patriots, it was that coming out of training camp, Bill Belichick was prepared to start Tom Brady over Drew Bledsoe, but Drew Bledsoe had just signed that big contract and Drew Bledsoe was Drew Bledsoe at the time. And Brady was Brady and the injury to Bledsoe, open the door for Brady, but Brady was Bill's guy, right? And Brady yeah. was just entering his second year in the league. He had not started a game. He might have started a game in 2000 towards the end of the season. No, he threw four passes all in relief. Right. So he had never started a game up until that point. And Belichick was prepared to go there because he felt like Brady was the better, the better guy for that specific team. And that's what I wonder with a guy like Mac Jones is do they look at this and they say, all right, we got better playmakers. Now we still have a good downhill running game, even without the quarterback as a factor with their legs. We just need somebody to manage the game, get the ball out, put the ball in the spots that we need him to put the ball in. And Mac is just a better timing rhythm based thrower in that sense than Cam Newton. I, I just, I keep on saying this over and over again and, I just keep on coming back to it. I just feel like Mac is such a better stylistic fit for what they're going to ask and what they want out of the quarterback position. And that is why if my number two point, if Mac can prove that he can take care of the football and he had some turnovers in minicamp, granted it was minicamp, but he did throw some interceptions in minicamp. But if he can take care of the football and he can be that game manager and just get the ball out to Johnny and get the ball out to Hunter Henry and Nelson Aguilar and all these playmakers that they've added in the offseason. Why can't it be back in terms of all the things that Mac does better than Cam and stylistically, at least on paper? It can. I, I'm not telling you it's logical. It can. What I'm saying is it would have made sense for Damian Harris to play as a rookie. They were backed up at running back. They needed him to play. Uh, you know, it, it would have helped if Nikhil, I think, had played more as a rookie. And I know Nikhil's kind of a loaded topic right now, but they needed receivers that year. They couldn't find receivers and still Nikhil couldn't get on the field. The quarterback is a skilled position. We have the tight ends last year. Devin Asiasi couldn't get on the field. Dalton King couldn't get on the field, despite the fact that Ryan Izzo showed he's not really an NFL tight end. At the skill positions, at the positions that handle the football, 
rookies, especially recently, have not been able to get on the field. I think that's only going to be exacerbated at the quarterback position. I don't see why he wouldn't play a rookie running back. He wouldn't play a rookie receiver. He wouldn't play a rookie tight end. But suddenly, as a quarterback, he's going to give that guy the keys. I don't like there have been my point is there's been rookies in the past yeah. who matched what you said they've been fit and they were either you know healthy scratches or they were just sat. And look, I think some of that is valid. I don't hate their strategy of red shirting running backs. I don't hate the idea of red shirting Mac, even if he is maybe like helps you win games. If sitting him for eight weeks is going to make him be a better player over the next 10 years, I'm all for it. I'll take one more 500 season if it means you get the best out of Mac Jones for the next decade. I think most Patriots fans should take that trade-off. Some won't because some of you people look very short-term and have no concept of the big picture, but you need to make sure these guys are ready so they're not, you know, so so that they can make the most of it when they get their opportunity. I think that's how Bill sees it at the other positions. I just believe, based on the context, sorry about that, that that's going to carry over to quarterback. That That's it. Again, did your, I, did I, your I alarm just go off at 420, by the way? Not for that. Yes, it did. That was <laughs> that was a reminder um, that, that the uh, dishwasher is done running. I forgot I said that. I tried to line it up so it's not during the show. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But, yeah. Uh, no, so, so, yeah, to go back to the point, I can't give you a logical reason for this take. I can give you the historical context behind it. I can't give you a logical reason, but I just don't see all of these previous rookies didn't play. Now, the one exception is Sony Michelle, Lawrence Maroney, first-round picks, heavily involved. And, and Mac Jones if, if Nikhil didn't pick. get hurt, I feel like he would have been right in there. And, I, and Isaiah Wynn, too, I feel like he might have played right away so if he didn't get hurt. I, I won't put, I'm, we're just talking skill position because offensive line rookies, they'll throw in and those guys are generally very successful for Michael Owenu, um, you know, go, going back. So yeah, that's a little different, but yeah, I, um, I, I just don't see, I don't see it right away. I'm not saying Matt can't start this year. I just don't see Bill going there right away. I just, and, man, and by the way, I, if I'm wrong, fine, that would be great. I want the better quarterback to play. If I want the better, better quarterback, quarterback awesome. to play too. I want I'm just the telling you what the historical too. context tells me. I, I just, I think we're going to go out there and I, I have a really, based off of what we saw in minicamp and assuming that the momentum continues in that direction, I think we're going to be out there in training camp a weekend. We're going to be on the pod after the first full week of camp. And we're going to say, man, you know, Mac looks good, right? Matt, 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 look, Mac looks good. Granted, Cam can still do a lot of things with his legs. The Cam Newton that we saw at minicamp was the same Cam Newton that we saw last year. It's the same player, right? I, I don't think he's gotten a, a, a loads better or worse or anything like that. I think he's the same guy. I, I think we're going to get out there at training camp and we're going to say, wow, Mac looks really good. And at some point in time, it's going to be difficult to keep him off the field when you did take him in the first round. The writing is clearly on the wall that, that Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback of the future. Cam Newton has come out and said it as much that he knows that Mac Jones is the quarterback of the future here in New England. I, I don't know. I just I feel like at some point in time you got to use your eyes, you got to go with your gut and realize that wow, that this is going to be better for us moving forward if we go with Mac over Cam, and whether that's week one or it's week four or it's week eight, you know that remains to be seen. But those are the two things that I, I think that Mac can do in camp at least, and really, you're right there every time. This, right. is, this is a very late in the week in July. We are going right now. off the rails. Now. Do we, do we, do we, uh, all right, I guess I'll fill here. Nope. Are yeah. you okay? 
You can clear your yeah, throat if you fine. need. You, you, we're good. We're good. Okay. There we go. Whew. Sorry, folks. We're out setting alarms for oh. 420s. My throat is is shot. The, these things are, are are coming up in the middle of July. We're working out the kinks. But Mac Jones, that that that's our 20 minutes on, on how Mac Jones can win the starting job. I want to flip over to Nikhil Harry now and discuss some of the things uh, that we didn't necessarily discuss uh, on Tuesday. We we did a little bit. Uh, we did a, a little bit on Tuesday, but I want to get to a couple of these things. First of all, uh, Jeremy Fowler, I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, he had the report out there that he asked uh, some NFL executives. They said that they would give up a conditional sixth-round pick for Nikhil Harry right now in a trade. And what I am seeing in that is I would wait. I, if all you're going to get is a conditional sixth-round pick, I'm waiting to trade Nikhil Harry I'm forcing him to come into training camp and compete because he wants to get traded. He wants to go where he wants to, you know, he has places that he would prefer to go. The Patriots want to get the best value. So to me, both sides, it's in both sides, best interest for Nikhil Harry to come in here and actually compete and actually play well in training camp and in the preseason and his value, if it's only a conditional six round pick, then obviously his value is not very high right now. Maybe they can go out there in the three preseason games, showcase him a little bit against some third or fourth string cornerbacks and pump up that value just a little bit. I, I just see it as a situation where it doesn't, and look, the, the statement that his agent put out didn't exactly behoove Nikhil Harry either, but I nope. don't think that it behooves Nikhil Harry to go out and dog it in training camp and in the preseason, right? If he wants to get traded and he wants to kind of, you know, turn his career around in general, uh, going out there and not playing well and not giving it all, his all in training camp and in the preseason really doesn't do him any good. But if he goes out there and showcases himself a little bit, moves the needle a little bit on the compensation, then that maybe interests the Patriots in trading him. Secondly, you wait till the end of training camp to trade him. Maybe injuries happen elsewhere in the NFL and a team loses a couple of wide receivers in a in training camp or in the preseason to injuries. And they have to, they get a little bit more desperate to fill those roles. Maybe, uh, you know, at that point in time, a team looks at it and says, well, we want to trade or, or we want to cut this player that we kind of are giving up on. Well, let's just give up. Let's, swap players here right like you know Jacoby Brissett for Philip Dorsett type of deal right we're probably right. going to move on from these players or cut these players anyways so all of these things I think point to his value only going up unless he gets injured I, I just trading him now for a conditional sixth round pick it, it, other the, really the only thing you're gaining from that is that you don't have to pay a salary like that that's literally the only thing that you're gaining unless he's gonna you truly believe that he's gonna be a big time locker room distraction for the rest of the way yeah, see, I, I would be worried about that. Not necessarily locker room distraction, but, I mean, here's the flip side of that. Does he want to risk going out to camp and getting exposed? He's going to be going up against Stephon Gilmore. He's going to be going up against J.C. Jackson. I don't know after that statement if he's necessarily going to get any favors by this coaching staff. Yeah. So, on the flip side, if I'm him, I want to be out. You know, I want to be in camp day one with my new team so that I can learn the playbook, get app and get the chemistry and have a shot to make the roster. The other thing about trading Nikhil Harry for a player is I don't know that you're going to get a player for him. That's a lost roster lock. And if you trade him for a player that you have to cut, well, then you gave him up for nothing. If you trade him for a pick, at least you have, you know, a, an asset 
whether it be next year, whether it be in two years that you can use, you can use that asset to trade up. You can use that asset to trade back and accumulate more assets. Maybe you pick a player there and it's just, Hey, we don't have, we want to, we want another player in place of Nikhil Harry. We don't have room for that player on this year's roster. So let's trade that for a pick and, and we get to choose our own guy and we'll do it in a year or two when maybe there's more room on the roster. So I I've been saying this, I would go pick for pick or I would go player for pick, even if it's a pick swap and I would, get him, you know, make that trade as soon as possible. So you go into camp where he's not eating up reps. He's not discouraged. Cause that's the other thing you got new receivers on this roster. You've got Nelson Aguilar, you've got yeah. Kendrick Bourne. And then whether it's uh, any of these other receivers, a guy like Isaiah Zuber, a guy like Trey Nixon, who's been here, but maybe hasn't played a ton in the context of this offense. You want the guys who might actually play getting those reps instead of a guy you know isn't going to be a part of the team. So I would try to make this move as soon as possible. Get what you can for a pick. If it's a conditional six, it's a conditional six. I think that works, and you go from there. So the reason why I, I totally understand why Nikhil Harry wants to get traded before camp, he wants to get into his new team, like you said, learn the playbook, all those all those things. I, I just don't – the that trade compensation is so – minimal for the Patriots that it just feels to me uh, like, like they could eventually do better. But I, I have to stop you here. No, tr no trade asset and no draft asset is minimal. A sixth round pick when they take on winner, the fifth to sixth round, something I, I like that. that. When did they yeah. take Jake Bailey? When but, did but they I take, think they know, can, my point I, is I think they can do better. And to the point that you made about giving reps to him in practice, it's not necessarily about giving him reps in practice because other teams are not necessarily scouting practice, right? Like they're not going out there. Mm, I don't they, know about that. They hear, they have birdies. They have their ways of finding things out of who's playing well and stuff like that, but they're not out there watching. Whereas if you're in the preseason games, right? Like, you might not want Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne to play a ton in the preseason, right? You might want to save those guys for the regular season. That's when you can throw Nikhil Harry in there and, uh, you know, quarter three, quarter four, second half of a preseason game, have him catch a couple of jump balls, let him get, you know, look good in those preseason games, and maybe it catches the eye of another team. Maybe it catches his eye if the Patriots hold joint practices with the Giants or something like that. Maybe he can right. catch an eye of Joe Judge at that point in time who has worked with him a little bit his rookie season. So, I, that to me is why, unless you really believe that he is going to be a locker room cancer, right? And he's going to be somebody that's going to pull the rest of the group down or inhibit the rest of the group, then maybe you move on to him from him right now. But if you feel like you can outlast it a little bit and you can at least try to get a little bit more for it at the end of camp, because remember, again, you have teams that find out that other players on their roster are on the outside looking in once they get into these camp battles that might interest the Patriots. You have injuries that happen in training camp every single year. So maybe a team becomes a little bit more desperate to make a move for a wide receiver with some upside. It just feels to me like rock, we're at rock bottom right now of his value. And maybe they can get a little bit more if they force Nikhil into camp and have him play in the preseason games and have him showcase himself a little bit because it, it, it behooves both sides for him to showcase himself. The Patriots can get a little bit more in the compensation and Nikhil can get moved a little bit faster. I, I wouldn't risk it. I think that it, you don't go into camp with guys on your roster who don't serve a purpose. I'm not saying every guy has to have a chance to make the team, but you know, Tell me why Nikhil Harry, why it's so important the Patriots keep Nikhil Harry on the 90-man roster for football reasons. Not trying to raise his stock for football it's reasons. It's not. 
And that's, that, that's what gets me, whether a guy has a chance to make the roster, whether he's somebody who's developmental, who you believe you can get onto the practice squad and work with on a two, three-year window. Even if it's just a guy where, hey, you know, we only have nine offensive linemen that have a shot to make this team, but in order to run some of these drills, we need 12. So we're going to bring in some offensive linemen. Like, it can be a reason as simple as that. I don't know that Nikhil Harry checks any of those boxes. If you're keeping him just to raise his stock, I'd rather have somebody else who's going to come in and in one way or another, whether it's by forcing other players to compete, whether whatever it is, I would rather have somebody who helps make this a better football team in the one, two to three year window. I don't think having Nikhil Harry in camp, knowing he wants to leave necessarily does that. All right. Well, fair enough. I, I I'm just looking at it from a, uh improving the draft the stock in terms of the trade compensation because you see that conditional sixth round pick it's probably based on him making the roster or playing a certain amount of snaps right it, it just that's really a tough pill to swallow but so, so how is that any different than you get a player who you who you're going to end up cutting anyway i don't know you're going to end up cutting there, the there's player, a real chance you end up if you there's if a real you chance you end up with for, nothing one way or the right. other if you trade the for a guy though at the end of training camp that's getting cut off another roster, but you see a role for him here, then you probably see a role for that player here, right? If you're going to make that trade at that point, I keep on going back to the Jacoby for Philip Dorsett trade, right? Like right. they they but saw I, uh, the the Colts were were basically done with Philip Dorsett. They had had enough. They wanted to move on. And they got something back in return that the Patriots had to kind of uh, was a little bit of extra baggage right. that they didn't necessarily need, right? Need to trim the fat there at the quarterback position. And both sides won in some respect. I, I guess. And I just, great. and I'm normally somebody who's, you know, don't sell low, like the Andrew Benintendi trade. I wasn't a huge fan of them trading him when, when they did. But with it, with, with Nikhil, I don't think he has that kind of value. I don't think with a couple preseason games, he's going to get to that kind of value, especially since in 2019, he played well in the preseason. He's shown he can play well in the preseason. So teams kind of know that. I, I, again, if if it's between getting a, a borderline player there or if they trade him now for a pick and they sign, say, a veteran corner, whether it's Trey Kirkpatrick, Richard Sherman, whoever, I don't know that that's the route they'd go. But let's say that that, that spot goes to a veteran corner who's going to push Juwan Williams or Michael Jackson. That makes them, I think that makes them a better team right now. I would rather be a better team going into camp and be more prepared going into camp than hoping that some team has wide receiver injuries and gets desperate and hoping that Nikhil has a good training camp and hoping Nikhil has a good preseason and upping the value there. I think you can get something for him now. You do it. You find a way to use that last roster spot to improve the team for training camp and you go from there. Fair enough. All right. The other question I wanted to bring up with Nikhil Harry is something that I was debating with a couple of people on Twitter about earlier. And I, I feel like this is sort of like a chicken or the egg thing, right? But I, I want to present this question and you can't say it's a little bit of both, Alex. You have to give an answer of which one it's matters. It's going to be both. I so think no, I know a question. Oh, it's going to be both, but no copping out. All right. I I'm going to hold you to taking a side here. Is it the Patriots? Are the Patriots issues drafting wide receivers let's not get into if they really have an issue with that or not, but just in general, the narrative is the Patriots issues, drafting wide receivers, a system problem or an evaluation problem. I know you're going to say it's a little bit of both, but I want you to pick a side which one do you feel it is more to blame? The system is too complicated. The system doesn't, you know, lend itself to college receivers coming here and developing well, or their evaluations are off on the prospects. 
Oh, I, I thought you were going to ask me, is Nikhil's, or were Nikhil's issues more of an issue of the Patriots or him? Because that one's more complicated. And that's right. a fun question. Maybe we do that next. Um, that, that, no, it's I, kind of what we're asking here in a sense, but but maybe a right. little bit different. Yeah. So I, I actually, I, I don't go both ways on this one. It's the system. I've talked about this before. The Patriot system is is somewhat archaic. Not in, I don't want to say archaic because that is a negative connotation, right? But it's it's a little bit, you know, they're still kind of doing what they did 10, 15 years ago. And they've had the same coaching staff for so long. There maybe hasn't been that, that pit, that push for them to revolutionize the offense, but they're still doing a lot of the same things they did 10, 15 years ago, where in the last seven to 10 years, college football offensively has undergone a major revolution and what teams are doing in college to then jump to the NFL, especially the Patriots system, it's like playing a completely different sport, what these players are being asked to do. So I think they could do a better job of bringing in guys who are better fits for the system, certainly. Uh, and I think Nikhil's a case of that. But I don't know that there is such a thing as a Patriot system fit wide receiver coming right out of college. Maybe after a guy's been in the year or two, sure, that exists. But I, at, at least in you know Power 5 college football, Maybe if you go to one of these, you know, real old school offenses in the Big Ten, like Iowa or Wisconsin, you can find somebody who would have, you know, that experience in that kind of concept. But those schools aren't getting top flight wide receivers, or at least they haven't in the last couple of years. Iowa had uh, a good tight end a couple. They had Fant, right, as an Iowa guy. Yes. So, uh, you know, not entirely, but yeah, I, I just th there's no. Patriots fits in the draft because their offense is such a departure from what college offenses run. And it's not a simple fix either. It, it's maybe a little easier now that Tom Brady's not here, but it's not a simple fix. So yeah, I would say it's the system. And I said this on, on Tuesday and I said it last week, the Patriots process for acquiring top flight wide receivers from this point forward under Josh McDaniels should be free agency or in trades. It shouldn't be the draft, at least not high. If you want to take late day three flyers on guys like Trey Nixon, sure. Go for it. I'm much more comfortable paying a guy 10 to $20 million a year who, you know, can play receiver at the NFL level than asking a guy to come from, you know, one of these spread college offenses and trying to learn what the Patriots are doing. So I kind of feel I lean towards the other way. I, I think it is evaluation. And the reason why I feel like it is evaluation is because the Patriots and look, it's a, it's a very small sample size, but the three receivers other than Dion branch, which was, a lifetime ago at this point, it feels like, right? Right. So at, at that point, what colleges were doing was very similar to what the right. colleges were doing. So I, what I feel like the, the prototype for early round receiver, if the Patriots are going to draft a receiver in the first two rounds, they have leaned in the three times that we can really sink our teeth into these big, explosive, outside weapons in the mold of a Nikhil Harry and Aaron Dobson. Uh, even if you want to go all the way back to Chad Jackson, right? Th those are the types right. of receivers they've leaned towards. And those types of guys just simply do not fit the system that they run, which has been extremely productive. And granted, it did have Tom Brady quarterbacking it. I get all that. But still, it has been very productive. And there has been a lot of players, whether it be uh, uh, Julian Edelman, a Deion Branch, a, guys that they've gotten in free agency. Rob Gronkowski was obviously a Patriots draft pick. He was a tight end, but he was still a receiver. And he panned out really well here. Uh, guys that cut the ball out of the backfield, James White, Shane Vereen, all these guys were able to grasp the system why because they what they did fit really well with what the patriots do 
right? And to me, drafting a guy like a Nikhil Harry, who is six foot three, 225 pounds, wins uncontested catches, but can't run a route for a lick, right? That is a, is a very bad route runner and very unrefined route runner, especially in his route breaks at the top of the route, just was never going to translate well here. So to me, what they need to do is change up their evaluation process to say, this is what we do offensively. We are a team that predicates smart, timing anticipatory route runners guys that understand how to read out coverages guys that understand how to get open guys that have good uh, separation skills and we need to start going towards more of those guys and going towards the guys that actually fit what we do here than necessarily drafting the Nikhil Harry types or the Aaron Dobson types and I do think that those types of players exist like in that draft with Nikhil Harry in 2019 Debo Samuel Terry McLaurin if you want to wait to the fifth round and draft Hunter Renfro uh, from Clemson those guys existed in that draft last year uh, this past year we talk a lot about Kadarius Toney as a fit for the Patriots as somebody that that does those sorts of things. I know he went one pick before the Patriots were on the clock, but if the Pats were able to leapfrog Minnesota, they could have had Justin Jefferson here, who is another guy that does a lot of those things. So I do think some of those guys exist. You just have to go out there and target those types of players. And to me, that needs to be item number one on their list for wide receiver evaluation moving forward is this is what we do with our wide receivers. This is what we're going to ask of our wide receivers. Now we need to find the bucket of guys that do those sorts of things, right? Because where's in the Patriots offense for the last 20 years, Alex, where's the back shoulder jump ball, high point fade. Where is that guy? Right. I mean, I, I guess like you could, you could maybe say it was Gronk, but Gronk did so many other things that it, it just seems right. like well, that's a, a poor one to use. But where is that? Where is the Nikhil Harry in the history of the Patriots? It, it's few and far between. So what, what that role has been the closest thing to that role, I think has been the run a 12 yard out. We're going to throw the ball two yards over the out of bounds on the sideline. You're going to reach over, grab it, toe tap. And that was right. Malcolm Mitchell. That was Brandon LaFell. Uh, yeah. Th- Brandon those are the, Lloyd, the main yeah. Brandon Lloyd, right, is the right. third one. There were three yeah. guys in a row. And they really haven't had a guy to do that since then. And I thought maybe that would be Nikhil Harry. It wasn't. The the only and I I I do agree with what you said. I think they need to look more at guys that fit. Where I where I think the Nikhil Harry pick came from is I think he didn't fit. And I think that's why they took him. I think the idea was we have Julian Edelman, right? We have, you know, we, we have all these guys who fit this mold, but we don't want to be, you know, a one tune band on offense. We want to be able to do a number of things. So that that's where I would flip the question. I think it's very easy to say, just go fit all, just go pick receivers who all fit the same mold that, you know, can succeed here. And that's all well and good. And I think there is something to be said for that. But if you have five of the same wide receiver, you're not very multidimensional on offense, and that's going to create a problem. So what do the Patriots do when they want to go get that 6'4 jump ball wide receiver? I think they did it this offseason. They paid Hunter Henry. They paid Nelson Aguilar. That's how you do it. I'm not worried about them drafting these intermediate over-the-middle receivers because they have done that. They haven't been great at it, but they've whether it's through the draft or other ways they've found those guys, they've either taken them in the draft, gotten them undrafted or pulled them off teams where, uh, you know, they weren't being used properly. They can, they yeah. can find, they can find the Jacoby Myers, the Julian Edelman's, the Danny Amendola's, the Philip Dorsett's. They can find those guys. It's how do they replicate that, that big receiver 
who's going to be a height issue, a size matchup issue for teams. They were missing that guy. They thought Nikhil would be that guy. He wouldn't. Now I think the idea is Hunter Henry will be that guy because it really was Gronk, right? Yeah. If you remember the night they picked Nikhil, we were all talking about him as being Rob Gronkowski's replacement. Yeah. That was the conversation. Is he is going to have the role that Gronk did in being a size mismatch. That didn't happen. Those are the guys they've struggled to draft. I think in the draft, they need to stick to those intermediate over the middle guys, stick to the Brandon Lloyd, Malcolm Mitchell role, because they do seem to have a knack to identify those guys. But when you want to go get that big body, just pay them. And I do think that that's a big reason why you saw them pass as much as it looks bad in hindsight. I think a big reason why you saw them pass on guys like Debo or McLaurin or even later on, like a guy like Renfro is because they had all these inside receivers. Right. They wanted the X. They wanted the X. And the only X's, true X's in that draft were Nikhil and DK. Right. Well, I think some of the two, because Nikhil had slot experience. And I think the idea was he was a true X, but at the same time, there was a little bit of comfort there for them with the other things he could do. But yeah, and 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 look, I don't I don't fault them for passing on DK Metcalf. He went to the second round. Every team yeah. passed on him. There were red flags. He's since proven those red flags wrong and good for him. Of, and it's he had great. a big, uh, extensive injury history. He had obviously route running red flags and and uh, you know all the things that we see with Nikhil Harry. A lot of people but, thought it was so, going to be DK Metcalf in, instead, and it ended up right. being Nikhil. That was the problem. But we're talking about the Patriots' inability to develop wide receivers. Is DK Metcalf a thirteen hundred yard receiver in New England? No, no, I don't. Probably you know, not. I don't know that he's requesting a trade two years in, but I don't think he becomes a household name in New England like he has in Seattle. And if Nick, if you flip him, and if Nikhil gets drafted by Seattle, I don't know that he's a thirteen yard receiver, but he's certainly not asking out two years in. I think he's a serviceable player. Right. So it it you know I I even don't fault them for AJ Brown to an extent. You know it sucks. He would have been a fit. He was a Pats fan, so that was fun. The one from that draft that kills me and will always kill me is Terry McLaurin because he was the safe pick. He does everything they like. He was a Patriot to a T. They could have doubled down. They could have taken him and Nikhil. That was the pick. If you want to get mad about a pick from 2019. DK and AJ Brown, that is, you're being captain hindsight at that point. You are using the benefit of what we know now projected on the past. Terry McLaurin at the time was the right pick. That's the one to get upset about. Four down player too. A guy yeah. that d- down at the senior bowl just was killing people as a gunner on, on pun team also. So I, I really thought that he was going to be a, a Patriot, a guy that ran great routes, really precise in his route breaks, really efficient at the top, played on special teams. I don't know. I, I felt like that was going to be a guy that they were going to take. They took Nikhil Harry. I, I, again, the problem, back to the original question of system versus evaluation, it's obviously a little bit of both, right? It's right. They, they both kind of go well, hand So hand. I would say, I would put a third one in there. It's, it's system, it's evaluation, it's development. Yeah. I think development is a big part of that as well. Because remember, was it Nick Casario was the wide receivers coach Nikhil's first year here, or was it Lombardi? It was Joe Judge. It Joe, Joe Judge, Judge right. right. They, they never, Nikhil's first year, they didn't have a full-time wide receivers coach. It was Joe yeah. Judge who was the special teams coordinator. If you're going to take a wide receiver in the first round, and I know Troy Brown was around, and that certainly helps, but you should have a dedicated wide receivers coach if you're going to take yeah, a wide receiver. That, that's round. a whole other rant so that I could I, go I, on. I think, it, I think you have they, to consider development as well. The way that they coach wide receivers here, and look, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I know better than Bill Belichick about how to coach a football team, right? I mean, clearly that's not the case. But the way that they coach wide receivers here is clearly behind the way the, West, the rest of the league coach wide receivers. And I think a big part of it 
is that they're not as focused on developing route releases, breaks, technique, all this kind of stuff, because they are looking so big picture at certain things, right? Like they want their guys to fit into the entire puzzle of the 11 guys on the team, on the team rather than just are on the field and rather than just focusing on all those little, little minor details where we're so used to the Patriots being detail oriented. It feels like their wide receivers play hard, they block well, uh, they do some of these bigger picture types of things that might help the offense as a whole, but they don't necessarily do those little minute details that we see that kind of create a lot more separation and a lot more sort of refined route running. So I definitely think that they could do use an overhaul with how they coach wide receivers here and get somebody in here that really is going to drill footwork, that really is going to drill technique and know how to do those types of things. But back to the, just quickly the system versus the evaluation thing, I have a really tough time with throwing out a system that's 20 years in the making just to fit wide yeah. receivers. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I have a tough time saying like they should just throw that playbook in the trash because the college game is the way that it is. And the wide receivers from the college game are what they are. And uh, no, there are guys that exist in the college game. I think that you can find it's about finding those players more of the time than and stop chasing the Nikhil Harry's and the Aaron Dobson's and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like stop chasing those types of guys and go after guys that, you know, are going to work here. Right. And I, you know, I think it, there are still wide receivers who can have success in the system, but I think being elsewhere in the NFL first is a transition helps. So it's not that they can't run the system. It's just not kind to rookies. Yeah. All right. Last point here about the wide receivers I wanted to make. I've seen this floated around a little bit on Twitter as well. And that is, uh, are we underrating Jacoby Myers a little bit because all this talk about Nikhil Harry and how he was a bust and how he wants out. And I understand that's the headline right now, but in that same rookie class as an undrafted guy, they signed Jacoby Myers, right? He's been everything. If Jacoby, if Nikhil Harry was doing what Jacoby Myers is doing production wise, we'd be stoked, right? We'd be like, Oh, they found a guy right in the first round. They, they got their wide receiver. Jacoby Myers last year was on pace to have over a thousand yards. If you stretch out that 12 game uh, stretch that he had starting with that San Francisco game, he was a thousand yard wide receiver down, down the second half of the year. Now, I do think some of those stats are slightly inflated in sort of like a good stats, bad team sort of way, right? Where he was the only guy getting open. He was the only guy demanding targets and they had to force feed him because he's all they had, right? It's sort of like a basketball team when a guy averages 25 points per game because nobody else can score, right? You know, it's, you got to chuck up 40 shots. So somebody's going to average 20 a game. But at the same time, do you think that we, are sleeping a little bit on Jacoby Myers and his ability to be, I don't know if I would call him a number one wide receiver, but at least a, a very good NFL wide receiver. Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, I saw people kind of coming at me in the chat the other day for saying, you know, if you add Andy Isabella or you add Jameson Crowder to this team, what are you really adding? And that's why there's, Oh, you know, you, you still need, you have a bunch of number twos. Okay. Those guys, like I'll take Jacoby Myers over either of those guys, Jacoby Myers, who knows the system, who's been in the system, who is young, who has team control. I'll take him over those guys any day. I, again, the Patriots needing a receiver is more of a meme than it is reality. At this point, they added the two tight ends look at where Myers is on the depth chart. He's at, he's where he should be. If anything, he's probably, yeah, a little bit under slotted. So I think he's a guy who, who is probably in the role he should be in for this team. I don't think that 
upgrading him or being in a rush to replace him should be high on the to-do list. I don't think it's something they need to worry about. I absolutely think that uh, Jacoby Myers, for the role he's going to play, is going to be fine. He's not their number one wide receiver. He's not. Hunter Henry is their number one wide receiver. John Smith is there, or I, I guess, however you want to do it with Hunter Henry and John Smith. I just see one A, one B. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it, you know, we don't know exactly who's going to be the ball. I, Hunter Henry is going to be their number one receiver in terms of yards. I think John Smith's going to be their number one receiver in terms of catches. Then you have Nelson Aguilar, who's going to be kind of the intermediate guy. And then you get to Jacoby Myers, and he's even battling with Kendrick Bourne. So that's right about where he should be. You're not going to add a wide receiver who's going to usurp him at this point. It's going to cost too much to do it if you really want to. I think where Jacoby Myers is right now, the role they have him in, based on what we saw last year, is perfect. He's going to thrive in that role. He's going to be a contributor. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that people's, you know, using that as, we have Jacoby Myers as our second wide receiver, like using that as a way to knock this offense. I think you're off base. You're not looking at it with the full picture. If it was, if you're running it back with Ryan Izzo uh, again, then yeah, that's more of a conversation, but you're not. So. Right. I think the biggest issue that you have with Jacoby Myers and why people don't get more on board with him is speed, right? I mean, he's just not a, he's not a fast wide receiver. They've, they've never been predicated on straight line speed at the wide receiver position. Though. Uh, other than, yeah, other than like Cooks and like Randy Moss, right? They, right? Those, right. those are the two only two guys you can think of that really won on, on straight line speed. Right. Outside of Moss and Cooks, they generally have one guy, whether it be Philip Dorsett or Demir Bird, who's just going to run up the field and keep the opposing defense honest. Everybody else, it's more about small space quickness and of straight line speed yeah and jacoby's got that he's got great ability to set up routes set up his breaks understands leverage understands how to attack coverage really good against man coverage last year and, and just overall was a very smooth wideout and a very efficient wideout every single time he was targeted out of all the receivers last year the patriots against man coverage he's the only guy that even came close to having good numbers right you know and he had good numbers everybody else was towards the bottom of the barrel so i, I do think to some degree we are sleeping on jacoby myers a little bit but i don't know if i don't know what his ceiling is if in terms of can he get any better than he already is now? Maybe he can, and maybe I'm I'm underselling him a little bit in that respect. But I don't know how much better we are going to see Jacoby Myers get because of his physical limitations, right? Because he's not a four three guy. He's not somebody that that is super fast. So I I think this is as good as he might get. But I think that is still a really good wide that's receiver. That's that's a solid third receiver. So yeah. let me just throw these numbers out here real quick. So obviously Jacoby didn't really play a ton at the beginning of last season. He had one catch over the first five games. He was a healthy scratch for two of them. Once he started playing regularly against San Francisco in week six, he this so over the last 10 games of the year, his 16 game average. So if he had done that pace for full season, 84 catches, a thousand yards. Yeah. Great. Awesome. If they can get him to do that as the second receiver, they're golden. Yeah. All he does is get open and catch the football, but he doesn't do it. He does it in a flashy ish way, but he doesn't do it in the flashiest of ways, right? He's not, he's not Tyree kill. He's not one of those types of guys, but he is somebody that I, I think is sort of getting underrated in this conversation just a little bit as well. And I see in the chat, some love for Kendrick Bourne too. I think both of those guys along with Aguilar come together and are, are pretty solid top three. Are they the best top three in the NFL? Um, no, but I think they're a lot better than what we're currently giving them credit for. 
Yeah, and they're a lot better than they were last year. People are acting like this offense didn't improve from last year. I don't know where that's coming from. They absolutely did. It's night and day compared to what they were last season. They're going to be a better team. Well, all right. Maybe we're just a bunch of homers, and, and we think the wide, Patriots wide receivers are are a little bit better than everybody else. But it, I, I really don't. I don't feel it. I feel like I. I really feel like people are are going crazy about this topic, and because they don't have somebody that they're going to draft in the first round in your fantasy football draft, or they don't have somebody that's that's a ninety nine in Madden, or you know something like that, uh, we feel like the Patriots wide receivers are garbage. And I don't know. I I I don't. I feel like that's going a little bit too far. Yeah, I, I mean, I said this, I, I what was it, weeks ago, I, I blew up about this, that <laughs> you can't, it, it's the, the fantasy football has poisoned the common football fan. They absolutely have. And the, the two letters next to player's name on the roster, denoting position, you can't look at that in a vacuum. You got to look at the pass catchers as a whole, and you've got to look at the offense in a whole. The other thing that is going to make this passing game work, they couldn't capitalize on it much last year. The running game is going to be so freaking good with this team this year. They're going to be able to run the hell out of the ball. They're going to have a better defense. They're going to be able to hold more leads. That's just going to open things up in the passing game. It's just going to, it's going to force defenses to play more aggressive. It's going to force defenses to put more guys in the box. Every, uh, the, the other moves they made, bringing back Trent Brown, improving the defense, all of that that they did is going to make it easier to throw the football because complimentary football, because teams will have to play them more aggressively because they have to actually worry about, you know, there's going to be close games. You're not going to get down whatever it was, 24 to three to San Francisco at the half, whatever that yeah. is. You're going to be in more competitive games. You're going to be able to stop the run. You're going to be able to run the football yourself. It just, it, it's all going to be complimentary. And I also, what I think is great about Johnny Smith, who I was writing to, about today for my most important Patriots series is his versatility kind of allows them to blur the lines between formations, right? Like and and personnel grouping. So like, because he's on the field, they can line up in like a true 12 personnel set with two tight ends. And that, that's what it will technically be, right? When you write down what formation they're in, it will right. be 12. But really, because he can play off the line of scrimmage, because he can play detached from the formation, all these sorts of things. And Hunter Henry, too, to a degree, maybe not in the backfield, but detached from the formation. They can basically be 12, 21 or 11 if they want to be or 10, sort of, right? Like they can be all of these things all at once. And if you're the opposing defense on top of the fact that they can still run it over with you in that formation, in that grouping, how do you match it? Right? Like what, what, what are teams going to sit here and say, how are we going to match this? Because the Patriots with these tight ends, they can be 21 personnel with Johnny Smith as a fullback and they can run us run over us like that. If we play them in dime, but if we play them in base or we play them in nickel, worrying about the run, now they're going to go five wide on us and they're going to have, you know, these tight ends attached from the formation and moving around that I think is going to be a whole lot of fun. And what Josh McDaniels I'm sure is cooking up in the lab already is this ability to morph and blur those lines in the same grouping. So you can run the same five guys out there and do it in six different ways, right? And right. and, and, and that, that I think is going to be very difficult to stop. But on top cuz a lot of football, we talk about personnel, we talk about talent, all that kind of stuff, but a big part of scheming offense is formations. Right. Yes. And if you can continue to change up formations and kind of say, well, this is sort of 11, but it's kind of 12, but it's a little bit of 21. Those types of things can get really confusing for defenses and how to match stuff. Yeah. A lot of teams 
it, you know, it's based on running the offense is ba- This is a little bit of an oversimplification, Evan. So this is going to drive you crazy, but I, a, a lot of NFL offenses are based on running uh, a lot of different plays out of very few formations. The Patriots offense, when it's at its best is running a handful of plays out of a number of various formations and looks, they might have the same play that schematically is the same thing, but they'll right. run it with four or five personnel group groupings in each of those groupings are aligned in two or three different ways. That's the Patriots offense when it's at its best. That was the Patriots in 07. That was the Patriots in, in, in 2016, 2017 that, you know, they have the personnel to do that again. I think that's another big thing we're not talking about, Evan, especially after Julian Edelman got hurt last year, right. And was out. Who was the matchup wild card? Who was the guy that that was going to keep defensive coordinators up at night? Not just because he was good, but because it's difficult to figure out how you want to deal with him. Who was the guy that was, are we going to single him? Are we going to double him? Are we going to cover him with a corner, with a safety or a linebacker? They didn't have that guy. It was supposed to be James White. He had a bit of a down year, uh, which is unfortunate, but it was pretty vanilla across the board. Their whole offense was pretty vanilla. Now they have Johnny Smith, who is going to be that guy where how do you cover him? How do you, as a defense, dictate your personnel around right. him? How do you line up around the formation? Out. Right. Right. And then that's, and, and I think, by the way, I think Kendrick Bourne can kind of be like that too, in a more limited way. But I think, you know, he's a guy who, who might get some of those looks when he's on the field. So that they just have a lot more flexibility offensively to go back to what I was saying at the beginning. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if that frustrated you with the oversimplicity of it, no. but they, they, they have more options on offense now from a play calling point of view. And that's a big deal. That's going to change things. And that's how you get matchups, right? Because right. like I said, going back to that, that do you put nickel out on the field? Do you put base out on the field? Because they're going to be able to run the football effectively with those two tight ends on the field. You do all these types of things. Well, now all of a sudden, McDaniels takes Johnny Smith from the backfield, motions him out into the slot, and now he's got a linebacker over him, or now he's got a safety over him, and now he's got a mismatch, right? And that's how you create those types of mismatches across the formation is by being able to do multiple things well out of the same personnel grouping that has a ton of flexibility in terms of what different uh, versatility in terms of what guys can do. So that's where the Patriots, I think, can really get into sort of the chess game of all of this with the new weapons that they have, even if maybe those weapons in a vacuum aren't individually as good as some people would want them to be. Like Hunter Henry is not Travis Kelsey, right? And Johnny Smith is not George Kittle. But just because they're not individually that good as a whole, they can really start to do things, a lot of uh, confusing things. And that I think is going to make uh, defenses on their heels. It's going to keep off defensive coordinators uh, some long nights, you know, preparing for this Patriots offense, trying to figure out what's the best, grouping to be in what's the best personnel to put out on the field what's the best way to defend these guys i I think that is going to be difficult uh, for opposing defenses all right alex and i are going to be back on the podcast next week on tuesday we're going to start previewing in training camp believe it or not uh we are only a couple of weeks away um from patriots training camp i believe it's three weeks from today right is it the 28th or 29th so I think today is three weeks from today is the first official practice of camp, right? Because the, the veterans have to report the day before the first official practice of training camp. So I think the veterans report the 26th of the 27th. No, it's, it's actually it's three weeks from yesterday. It's the 28th is the first practice. There we go. So three weeks from yesterday, it's it's coming up a lot Summer's faster. Summer's almost over, Evan. A lot faster than you think. It it felt like we had a lot more time, but we definitely didn't. So uh, we are going to be back on Tuesday to start talking about the training camp 
preview type of uh, portion of the podcast. We'll look at offense and we'll look at defense. We'll get into some special teams too, I am sure. We'll do some Q&As as well between now and in the start of camp too. But signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.